turn in your Bibles this morning with me to the book of 2 Samuel. We've been working our way through the book, and today we are in 2 Samuel chapter 13. About 70% of the time here at Faith Bible Church, I'm teaching through a book of the Bible. About 30% of the time, uh, more exegetical topical series. One of the benefits of preaching through a book is that it forces you not to avoid hard passages. And this is one of them. This is a sad uh, account. It's an account of hurt. It's an account of pain, and but it's part of Scripture, and it's an opportunity for us to learn. And so we are in 2 Samuel 13 today. I'm going to read the passage out loud. You can follow along in, in your copy of the Scripture. I'll start reading 2 Samuel chapter 13 with verse 1. Now it was after that that, Absalom, the son of David, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Amnon was so frustrated because of his sister Tamar that he made himself ill, for she was a virgin, and it seemed hard to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, and Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He said to him, O son of the king, why are you so depressed morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Then Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, the sister of my brother Absalom. Jonadab then said to him, Lie down in your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me some food to eat and let her prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down. And pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I might eat from her hand. Then David sent to the house for Tamar, saying, Go now to your brother's Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down. She took dough, kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. So she took the pan and dished them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Have everyone go out from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. So Tamar took the cakes which she had made, brought them into the bedroom to her brother Amnon. When she brought them to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come. Lie with me, my sister. But she answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. As for me, what? How? where could I get rid of my reproach? And as for you, you'll be like one of the fools of Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold you, me from you. However, he would not listen to her. Since she, since he was stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, for the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up! Go away! But she said to him, No, because this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you have done to me. Yet he would not listen to her. 
He called his young man who attended him and said, Now throw this woman out of my presence and lock the door behind her. Now she had on a long sleeve garment, for in this manner the virgin daughters of the king dressed themselves in robes. Then his attendant took her out and locked the door behind her. Tamar put ashes on her head, tore her long sleeve garment, which was on her, and she put her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. Then Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now keep silent, my sister. He's your brother. Do not take this matter to heart. So Tamar remained and was desolate in her brother Absalom's house. Now when King David heard of all these matters, he was very angry. But Absalom did not speak to Amnon, either good or bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. Now it came about after two full years that Absalom had sheep shearers in Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. Absalom came to the king and said, Behold now, your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, we should not all go, for we will be burdensome to you. Although he urged him, he would not go, but blessed him. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But when Absalom urged him, he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Absalom commanded his servants, saying, See now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, when I say to you, Strike Amnon, put him to death. Do not fear, have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. The servants of Absalom did to Amnon, just as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each mounted his mule and fled. Now it was while they were on the way that the report came to David, saying, Absalom has struck down all the king's sons. Not one of them is left. Then the king arose, tore his clothes, and lay on the ground, and all his servants were standing by with clothes torn. Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, responded, Do not let my lord suppose they have put to death all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. Because by the intent of Absalom, this has been determined since the day that he violated his sister Tamar. Now therefore do not let my lord the king take the report to heart, namely, that all the king's sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. Now Absalom had fled, and the young man who was the watchman raised his eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come. According to your servant's word, so it happened. As soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's sons came and lifted their voices and wept. And also the king and all his servants wept very bitterly. Now Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amahud, the king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom had fled and gone to Geshur and was there three years. The heart of the king David longed to go out to Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon, since he was dead. Throughout our study thus far in the book of Second Samuel, we have seen accounts of great victory in the life of David when he depended on the Lord. We have also seen accounts of great defeat when Amnon was self-dependent instead of God-dependent. 
In chapter 12, David finally confesses his sin. And we noted that the Lord is always there to forgive us our sin when we are willing to call sin for what it really is, sin. We also noted that there's always consequence to sin. And even in sin's consequence, God's grace still comes. Grace upon grace. Well, as we come here to chapter 13, even though it's a hard passage, a sad passage, it's also a passage of opportunity. For David, it's a passage of opportunity missed. For us, it's a passage of opportunity from which we can learn. And one of the things that we're going to see in this passage is that sin leaves an imprint on those who follow us. Our sin imprints the next generation. Those of you who are parents know how sobering it is when you see your children not only following the example of good that you have laid out before them, but when they follow your bad example. And yet, as we see that when we sin, we imprint those who follow us, we are not without hope. And we're going to see this morning that we are at a crossroad. When we see our imprint upon those who are following us, an imprint of our own sin, we're faced with a choice, a crossroads. Am I going to respond out of shame and immobility? Or am I going to respond in grace? Many years ago, when our three sons were quite young, we had a small parrot. His name was Chester. He was a monk parakeet or a Quaker. Had a nice vocabulary. One afternoon, my wife Barbara was home completely by herself. The rest of us were gone. And unlike her, she actually laid down to take a little nap. She never does that, but this day she did. She was awoken by these words. Mom, what? Mom, what? Mom, what? It was Chester. Now, when my wife tells this account, she likes to tell it this way. Mom, what? (laughs) Mom, what? It's a sobering thing to see the imprint that we leave even on a bird. And it's a sobering thing to see the imprint that we leave on those who follow after us. And it leaves us with a choice. Am I going to respond out of a sense of shame? Or am I going to respond out of grace? Here in chapter 13, as the section opens, 
It looks to us that this is an account of two main characters, Amnon and his half-sister Tamar. Actually, the first person mentioned in this chapter is another brother, Absalom. And as chapter 14 comes to a close, it ends with Absalom. It's just a little clue that what happens here is going to have ramifications later in the book. Here we are introduced to one of David's sons, Absalom. His birth is mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 3. And it tells us in the text in verse 1 that he has a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. We are also told about another brother, Amnon. He is David's oldest son by a different wife than the wife who bore Absalom. So Absalom is a full brother to Tamar, his sister. And Absalom is a half-brother to Amnon, David's oldest son. And as this account will unfold, we're going to see that David's sin imprints the next generation. That the sin of a generation imprints the next generation. And that's what we find here. Amnon, it tells us in verse 1, loves his half-sister, Tamar. Now, the word used for love there is a, a general Old Testament word for love. It can be used to in reference to love as to someone on the street would refer to love. What we see here unfold is not the kind of selfless giving love that the scriptures show that we should have for each other or that a husband should have for a wife. This is more a want. And it tells us in verse 2 that this brother Amnon, we would call it, is lovesick. He's made himself sick. And it's a very sad account on David's household to see why he's so frustrated in verse 2. It tells us he's frustrated for she was a virgin and it seemed hard to Amnon to do anything to her. What that verse is saying is this. In Amnon's mind, if she had been married, he could just take her. That's what his dad did, right? David saw... A woman of beauty, she was married, but David just took her. Amnon sees a woman of beauty, but he feels like he can't follow in his father's footsteps because she's not married. A sad account of the imprint that David has left on his son Amnon. Along comes Amnon and Absalom's first cousin, a guy named Jonadab in verse 3. And Jonadab has a very sad, wicked plan. He shares his plan with Amnon in verses 4 and 5, and Amnon carries it out in verses 6 through 14. He goes to, uh, he tells his father, King David, hey, I'm sick. Can you have my sister, Tamar, come make a meal for me in my presence? David says, sure. Sends Tamar. Tamar goes and she makes some cakes for him. Amnon clears out all of his household servants. 
And then in verse 11 it says, When she brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. She will have nothing to do with this. In fact, she starts to argue with him or make arguments with him of why he should not take advantage of her. First, in verse 12, she says, This kind of thing is not done in Israel. That's what the Canaanites do, those who hate our God. In Israel, we live for our Lord. This kind of thing does not happen here. And then in verse 13, she says, It's going to ruin our lives. How will I remove the reproach? And you will be considered uh, a fool. And then she says in verse 13, If you really want me... Ask our father David for my hand in marriage. He will give me to you. Now that would actually be in violation of Old Testament law. Leviticus chapter 18 verses 9 through 11. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 17. Deuteronomy chapter 27 verse 22. All spell that out. But here, Tamar is trying to make the best out of a very bad situation. And what's really sad is it tells us in verse 14 that he would not listen to her. And he takes her. What really shows us that he did not love her is verse 15. Because after he violated her, literally the Hebrew text says, he hated her with an exceedingly great hate. And those are, uh, there's a Hebrew word for each of those English words. He hated her with an exceedingly great hate. He ordered her to be cast out of his house. And she pleads with him in verse 16 and says, No, because this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you have done to me. And the Hebrew used there in the word sending me away is the same Hebrew words that they would use in relation to divorce. And she says, By casting me aside, you're, you're sending even greater against me than what you have just done. And he orders her to be thrown out and the doors locked behind her. Verse 18 tells us she's been wearing a long-sleeved garment that all of the king's maiden daughters wore. And in her grief, she tore the garment. She put ashes on her head. She put her hand on her head and weeping, crying aloud as she went. Verse 19 tells us and Absalom sees his sister and he knows exactly what has happened. Has Amnon gotten to you? And he tries to comfort her and says, You can remain in, remain in my home. I will provide shelter to you. And she stays with her brother Absalom. And verse 22 says, Absalom doesn't even mention this to Amnon. He just stays quiet about it. And then at the end of the verse it says, For Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. What I want us to notice, especially in this account, is verse 21. If you look at verse 21, it says this. Now when King David heard all of these matters, he was very angry. He was very angry. And that's it. 
David is angry. You see, we see here an example of one man's sin imprinting those who follow him. Remember in chapter 11 that David saw a beautiful woman in 11.2. He sent for her in 11.4. And he took the one who did not belong to him in 11 chapter 4, or chapter 11 verse 4. What has Amnon just done? He saw a very beautiful woman in chapter 13 verse 1. He asked for her to be sent to him in chapter 13 verses 6 and 7. And he took what was not his in verse 14. You see, Amnon has followed the steps of his dad. And David is at a crossroads right here. He clearly sees that he's left the imprint of his sin on his son. And he's faced with a choice. Am I going to remain immobile in shame? Or am I going to act out of grace? I grew up in the home where my father was in full-time vocational Christian service. He pastored early on in my life. And then he was a professor at a Bible college and later became president of that Bible college. And my whole life, he was working on advanced degrees. He first earned a doctorate in theology, and then he earned a Ph.D. in educational administration from the University of Nebraska. So my whole life, my father was either studying or traveling a lot. And those times when we were all together as a family often were far and few between. One of the things that we did not do much as a family is sit down together and have family devotions. My parents modeled for us the importance of being in the Word. And I can remember multiple times as a child getting up, my father having already risen sitting in his chair reading his word. I can remember time after time after time of my mother in a quiet place reading her Bible, but it really wasn't modeled for us a time of the whole family doing that together once in a great while. I finished college. I finally convinced the love of my life to marry me, and we moved to Texas. And it just really wasn't part of my model that something that I should do with my new bride is to pray with her. I just, it wasn't part of my thinking. Well, then I started at Dallas Theological Seminary and I barely saw the girl. I mean, we made a commitment on Friday nights. We will go out on a date. Sometimes I had to wake her up at 11 o'clock at night when I was finished studying and then we would go on our date, but we did go. Well, maybe when I get done at Dallas Theological Seminary, I'll start praying with my wife. Well, then the babies start coming along, and you kind of wonder, am I ever going to survive this stage? And then I'm working too much, 
And as the more time that went by, the more I felt shame. Here I am, I'm a pastor, and I'm not praying with my own wife. There's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is the Spirit of God working in my conscience saying, hey, there's something wrong. You are sinning. You are not living your life according to my plan for you. You're violating my word. Guilt is what drives us to what David did in 2 Samuel chapter 12, to confess our sin and get things right with God. But shame, shame is never from the Lord. Shame says, you aren't worthy. You are a lousy husband. You can't even, you shouldn't even come to me and pray. You're doing such a terrible job. You're lousy. That's what shame does. And I was so overridden with shame that I was immobile. Until I finally one day made a conscious decision and said, enough is enough. And I confessed my sin of lack of leadership in my home and then embraced the grace that's available to me in forgiveness in Jesus Christ and continued to preach to myself that my father doesn't view me as an awful sinner. He views me clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see me as a sinner. And then in the empowerment of acknowledging his grace for me, I started making steps to correct this area in my life. And I'm still on a journey. My wife would be the first to tell you that. But grace enables us to come to those crossroads where we're either going to respond in shame or grace. I am convinced that that, that grace enables us to actually break the imprint that we can, that we leave on those around us with our sin. David here, I believe, was inactive because he was gripped by his own shame. How can I confront my own son Amnon for taking this beautiful woman? I just did the same thing a year ago. I'm not worthy to go talk to my son. I'm not worthy to go to him and say, you know what, your sister is more noble than you. She's saying you can't kick me out. You need to marry her according to Old Testament law in Exodus 22 and Deuteronomy 22. But instead of acting out of grace, out of a sense of his own forgiveness and empowerment to actually deal with his family, he was just immobilized in shame and did nothing. David has an opportunity to act out of grace. But instead, he allows his shame to cripple him. I think that's what Galatians 6, verses 1 through 3 is all about. When the Apostle Paul tells us how we should respond to someone who's tripped up in sin... And he basically says in chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, go in humbleness 
Knowing that you've been forgiven too. Knowing that you're prone to the same sin that your brother or sister in Christ is caught up in. He says, Brethren, if anyone's caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. Thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. That's grace. That's looking past shame, claiming our own forgiveness that we have in Christ in the fact that we're clothed in Christ's righteousness that allows us to actually act so that we can come alongside of another brother in humbleness because I've done the same thing, but not withdrawing immobilized by shame. Well, David does nothing And in verses 23 through 39, just as the Lord said would happen, happens. You see, the Lord knew David's heart. And while David received forgiveness of his sin, David does not take leadership in his home. And I believe the reason is that he is fallen into shame-based parenting instead of grace-based parenting. He's immobile because of his own shortcomings, because of seeing the imprint of his own sin on the lives of his sons. And so we come to these verses, and it tells us in verse 23 that two years have passed. Now remember chapter 12, verse 10. Chapter 12, verse 10 tells us that the sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. That was the word of the Lord through Nathan the prophet to David. And it starts happening right here. And it's going to continue to happen. Two years, Absalom has just been bitter. It's time for sheep shearing. It's a festival. It's time to celebrate. So he comes to his dad and says, Dad, will you come to my party? David says, no, it's going to be too much on you, too much uh, work for you. I'm going to decline. Well, can you at least send my brother Amnon? He's the oldest. He's the next in line to the throne. It would be prestigious for him as the next head of the family to come to my sheep shearing party. And David, in the back of his mind, knows something's wrong here. And he says, why should he go with you? But Absalom persists and David says, sure. So all of the brothers go to the party. And Absalom tells his servants, when we get enough wine into Amnon's stomach, kill him. And that's exactly what they do. The rest of the brothers get on their mules and flee. And a report comes back to David that Absalom has killed all of David's sons. And David is just struck with grief. And then along comes the cousin again. And he says, no, no, it's, it's, it's just Amnon that was killed. And then the rest of the sons arrive over the horizon. In the meantime, it tells us in verse 34 that Absalom flees. He actually goes to his maternal grandpa's house to Talmai, the son of Amahu, the king of Geshur. And he stays with his maternal grandpa For three years. You see, once again, we see the imprint of David's sin on the lives of his son. What did David do? 
He saw a beautiful woman. He sent for her. He took her. And then instead of confessing his sin, he tried to cover it up and eventually ordered the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Here, Absalom for two years plans and he commits murder. What's David thinking? Most likely he's thinking, well, how can I confront him? I did the same thing. He murdered his brother. I murdered Bathsheba's husband. How can I give anybody advice? I don't even deserve to be able to give anybody advice. And so he sits for three years as his son suffers. Now one of the things that we see in this text is that God's word always proves true. And he specifically told David, the sword's not going to depart from your house, and it didn't. But we have to remember when we apply scripture that those were words that God said directly to David. That does not mean that the imprint of our sin on those who follow us has, has no hope. Because it does. The hope that we have when we start seeing our own shortcomings and our faults and our sin in the lives of those who follow after us is grace. We see it modeled for us in the person of Jesus Christ. When the Lord saw our helpless state as spelled out for us in the book of Ephesians chapter, or excuse me, in the book of Romans chapter 3, starting to read in verse 10. Remember that description of, 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 of where we're at apart from Christ? It tells us in Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become useless. There's none who does good, not even one. What did God do? In grace, He came to us. In Ephesians chapter 2, Verses 1 through 10 spells that out so clearly. God took the first step in the person of Jesus Christ. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. See, grace takes the first step. Years ago, I have a first cousin that grew up on a farm here in Iowa. And in high school, one evening, he took out the family car and just wrecked it bad. And instead of going to his stepdad and telling him what he had done, he just started walking. And kept walking and hitching and walking and hitching until he ended up in California. His mom 
was heartbroken. His stepdad was faced with a choice. Would he allow the shame of having a relationship with that boy that was so bad that he couldn't even come to him and tell him what he had done and stay immobile? Or would he seek out that boy and go to California and demonstrate grace? Unfortunately, he just stayed on the farm and let my first cousin wander. David is faced with an opportunity here, just like you and I are faced with, and that is this. We have a choice. We can operate out of a sense of shame. Well, I've sinned in that area too. How can I, how can I give any advice there? I, I've fallen. I'm not even worthy to be a Christian. I can't even, I shouldn't even pray. I can't even, I, I can't even, uh, take the first step. Or to operate out of grace. Jesus Christ forgave me. He died for me. And even though I'm not worthy of it, I stand completely forgiven before the Lord and I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And as the Father sees me, He doesn't see my sin. And in grace, experiencing grace, we can act graciously. For David, that would have been reaching out and disciplining his son Amnon. For David, that would have been going and getting Absalom. But he was immobilized by his own shame. It's true. Our sin imprints the next generation. But it also gives us an opportunity. Am I going to remain immobile in shame? Or am I going to act out of grace? The grace I experience in my my own forgiveness in Christ... And then to be able to extend that grace and break that imprint.